Today it's Palm Sunday. And while we don't bring a palm branches into the church, but we have the palms of our hands, right? And with it, with the palms of our hands, you can welcome the person next to you. You can shake their hand, you can high-five them and say, I'm so glad to be here at worship with you. With the palms of our hands, we can wave to the people who are joining us online. Because they're part of this community as well. With our hands, we look at them and we remember that 2,000 years ago, a pair of hands were pierced cruelly by Roman spikes. And it's because of that that we are here this morning. And with the palms of our hands, we can give the Lord an offering of applause for what He's done. Yes. Brings a whole new meaning to Palm Sunday, doesn't it? Well, folks, as we were reminded earlier, we are now in a new series that Pastor Peter kicked off last Sunday called Change Makers. And I just want to make something very clear. This series is not a feel-good kind of motivational, it's about you series. This series, just like any series in CCF, is about God. It centers on Him. Because God is the change maker. That's who He is. And when He makes a change in your life and mine, He allows us to be agents of change in this world. And so I want to make it very clear that we all remember that this series of messages is not about you and me. It's about how a change-making God can make His changes in this world through ordinary people like us. We learned about Moses last week. A surrendered leader is a positive influencer. He emphasized positive, Pastor Peter did, because you, can, you and I can be a positive or a negative influencer or change maker. But Moses was a positive influencer because, do you remember, he was surrendered to God's one-week-old amnesia. He was surrendered to God's plan. He was surrendered to God's, ah, oh, all of a sudden, amazing, it's a miracle, yeah, God's power. And it was all for God's glory. You see, it's really all about God because God is the change maker. Now, of course, as we listen to this series about how God uses people uh, and, and uh, has them become His agents of change on earth, some of us may be thinking this question. And this is actually the simple title of today's message. Can I, me, the man or the woman in the mirror, can I really make a difference? I don't feel like I'm an influencer. Even if we were told last Sunday, everybody is an influencer whether you accept that truth or not. Can I really make a difference? And if the Bible says and if God says I can, how do I do that? Well, let me just uh, bless you with this one real-life example. William Kamkwamba. William Kamkwamba was born in a very poor area in Malawi, in Africa, and he was born on a farm where they faced poverty and they faced famine and all kinds of problems. Now, this young man, William, he was a talented young man. He liked electronics, okay? So he had that particular talent that God had given him. But because of the poverty, because of the famine, he was forced to leave school uh, although he was allowed entry into the library so that he could read up on electronics and, and how a power could be harnessed to benefit people. And so what he did, long story short, you know, in his mind he said, uh, growing up in a Christian family, he said, there's one thing, you know, there may be famine and poverty where I live, but there's one thing that God has given us. He said, He has given us wind, hangin, wind. And so, he decided to build a windmill, a makeshift windmill using all kinds of parts, including his father's bicycle. And uh, he built this 
he, along with some other people, built this makeshift windmill, and it brought electricity to their village, and it brought water to their farmland. And so God used this young man in an amazing way. He must have been about maybe 14 or so at around that time. Of course, now he's much older. He's involved in many other things. But in his autobiography, and some of you may recognize the title because the movie's in Netflix, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. In that autobiography, he gives all the glory and all the credit to God. Now, folks, this world we live in, the world, even the immediate world around you and me, is in spiritual darkness, is in spiritual famine. People may or may not know it, and that's probably the worst part, kind of darkness, to not even know you're in it. People are, they have a thirst that they try to quench with all kinds of things. And the saddest part of that truth is they don't even know that only Jesus can quench that thirst. So how can you and I make a difference? By bringing people to the one who can bring light into their lives of darkness and who can bring real refreshment into their lives that are dry. That's what you and I are here for. It's really all about God and all about His mission in your life and mine. So can I make a difference? Well, let's look at that young person that Pastor Marty read about a while ago, those few verses, and you'll see the life of King Josiah narrated both in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23, 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35. You can read the complete story on your own, and you, know, you can get more insights from doing that. But we will get most of our readings today from 2 Kings and some from a few verses in the Chronicles version. Now, you may be looking at this visual right here and saying, wait a minute, in a chess board, that's not the real king. That's just a pawn, an ordinary piece. And that's the whole point, right? God uses ordinary people. In this particular case, he took a young man, put a crown on his head, and used him in amazing ways. And We'd like to learn from the example. By, by the way, how many of you have actually heard of King Josiah? Be honest. How many of you have actually heard of him, King Josiah? Okay. For the rest of you, it's just a rumor. Or maybe you've never even heard of him, right? But, but today we're going to learn something, a few things, really awesome things, by how God used this amazing young man. First of all, let's, let's look at what he was up against. Let's look at the setting uh, in the life of Josiah. Josiah was king during a time of what they call the divided kingdom. You see, after King Solomon came, his son Rehoboam, and from that time on, actually from Solomon's time, at the latter part of his life, his, his heart had turned away from the Lord, and he had turned to worshiping idols. It's an unthinkable thing, um, but that sort of gave rise uh, to, to what happened in the next several hundred years of Israel's history. And starting from his son after him, Rehoboam, the kingdom of Israel became divided. Israel on the north, they retained the name Israel, and the southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah. Between these two kingdoms, there were 39 kings. And out of the 39, only eight of them would have been or are referred to as good kings. The rest were bad. The eight who were supposedly good kings were all from the kingdom of Judah in the south. And Josiah obviously was one of them. We can even say he was the best. But you see, Josiah felt, had a lot of setbacks. One, like I said, was a divided kingdom. The other one was all of the crazy stuff his ancestors had done before him. Take, for example, his grandfather Manasseh. In 2 Kings 21, it says Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. So, Salolo Palang, grandfather, and even before him, there was already a, a string of sin and idolatry 
brought about by the kings themselves. Now, like I said, there were a few kings, even Manasseh, to be fair, had a time of repentance at the latter part of his life. But still, the Bible refers to him as someone who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, what about Josiah's father? Ammon. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. Now, ask me, why did he reign only two years? Because he was assassinated. I mean, that's how crazy this whole society had become. And it says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done, for he walked in all the way that his father had walked and served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. Folks, the, the divided kingdom, and in, in particular now the kingdom of Judah we're talking about, they were in a very, very bad state. They were in deep spiritual darkness and very deep spiritual dryness. And by the grace of God, here comes King Josiah. By the way, one thing we can learn. Well, anyway, let's go to King Josiah already. It says Josiah was how old? <laughs> awesome. Well, that's what happens when your father is assassinated, right? You have an eight-year-old king. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. He did right. Hallelujah. A bright light all of a sudden. After all those years of darkness, he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all of the way of his father David. Now, when you see the word his father David, you and I know his father was not David, right? In, in, the, in the Bible, when they say his father, it means like his ancestor. So his father, David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left, meaning to say it's an expression that means he walked the straight and narrow path. One thing you and I can learn from Josiah here is that our past does not need to define who we are. We also learn that we should not be blaming our past like, oh, I'm like this because my father, because my grandfather, because we have a choice to walk in the ways of God, to do right in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, if we look at what it says in Chronicles, in the eighth year of his reign, okay? So eighth year, how old is he by now? Sixteen. Oh, you're good in geography. No, wrong subject. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth. How many of you are youth in this room? Okay, we need more of you. He began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year, 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved images, and the molten images. We'll get to that in a bit. But the point is, here he is, a young man, king by circumstance, if you will. Of course, it's all God's plan. But here he is at a young age seeking the Lord and already beginning to make changes in the kingdom. So as we observe the life of Josiah this morning, there are four things that you and I can learn. First is this, change starts with God in you. Now normally we say change starts with you, right? We hear that and that's absolutely right. It should really start with us. But in the context of God's plan, so that we can make a God-glorifying difference, According to God's plan, change starts with God in you because God is the real change maker. And then we need to commit to God's word. How do we make a difference in people's lives? It starts with God in us, letting him make a difference in us. Now, it also means we need to commit to God's word and we need to help people find light and refreshment as we help them commit to God's word as well. People in this world, literally billions of them, some of them live in your neighborhood, maybe even in your own home. They have no clue what the word of God says. They have no idea how powerful a change the word of God can make in their lives. So you and I need to commit to God's word and help them do the same. The other thing we learn from Josiah is we need to clean out idols. We need to clean out idols in our own lives. 
We need to help other people clean out the idols in their lives. Idols are anything or anyone who takes the place of God as number one in our lives. Are we good so far? And finally, we learn from Josiah, we need to celebrate God's grace. Meaning to say, we need to remind ourselves, we need to help other people realize that this life and the forgiveness we receive and the eternal life we have in Jesus, this is all by God's grace. And so we need to live a life of humility and a life of thankfulness. So these are what we will learn from King Josiah. So let's proceed. Verse 3, now in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord. Okay, so that's the temple. It's like, you know, this sanctuary, something like that. Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. What, what was this money for? Let them deliver it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord to repair the damages of the house to the carpenters and the builders and the masons and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the house. So you, can, you and I can only imagine if the kings and therefore the people of God had turned their backs on the Lord to worship idols, you and I can only imagine that the temple of God must have been in some state of disrepair. And so this is one of the things that jo Josiah set himself to do, and that was set, uh, have physical repairs done to the temple of the Lord. But you see, the people of God needed far more than just renovating a place. They needed a change of heart, and they, need, they needed to see it happen in the life of someone, and that someone was our young king, Josiah. So what happened next? Remember we said change has to begin with God in you. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe. Remember, we're talking about the high priest. Said to the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan the scribe who read it. Jump a verse. Shaphan the scribe told the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. Now, you know, on the surface, you and I may not appreciate the, the sad state of affairs that these verses represent. But folks, you see, first of all, what is this book of the law? Okay, there's some discussion that it's the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or at the very least, it's the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses recounted the whole law again because it was a new generation coming into the promised land. Whatever it is, we will not debate. The point is, it was the Word of God. And by the way, it was not literally a book like the Bible. It was a scroll. They just called it a book. I mean, that was the term that's used in the Bible now. But just look at this. Hilkiah, the high priest, almost by divine accident says, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. You know, the book of the law was supposed to be placed beside the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of God. So it was not like something you would find by accident. And then, to make things even worse, here is a scribe bringing to the king the book of the law and saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Do you folks get what's happening here? Well, let me try and illustrate. Let's say that Pastor Irwin is the high priest and Pastor Omar, where are you, Pastor Omar? Okay, let's say Pastor Omar is the scribe and Pastor Danny Perez is the king, okay? So here you have, so imagine this. Pastor Irwin is taking a walk around CCF. This is a church that believes in the Bible. And all of a sudden, he's so surprised, he says, Oh, look, a Bible in CCF. And so he brings the Bible to Pastor Omar, 
And Pastor Omar brings you to who's the king? Pastor Danny. And Pastor Omar says, Pastor Danny, uh, Pastor Irwin gave me a book. I mean, how? What happened? Just to say, to say that he gave me a book might as well be Mills and Boone. Kunti lang nakakaalala ng Mills and Boone. Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys? Nancy Drew? Okay, whatever. But folks, you see how sad this is now. Just to point out how far from God these people have gone. This is part of what is written in Deuteronomy 17. Now it shall come about when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. So, God's command for the king. Okay, remember now, this is Josiah looking at the man in the mirror first before he looks at anybody else. The book of the law says the king, not only will he read the book of the law, he will write for himself a copy of the law under the supervision of the priest to make sure he gets it right. And not only that, you know, God really knows what he's talking about because he knows he created us, you know, eye-hand coordination, how that helps, uh, memory and all of this. On top of that, it said, it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. So Josiah understood even more clearly now that he, was, he needed to assume responsibility for where God had placed him. This is why he responded this way. Going back to 2 Kings 22, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, many of you already probably know what that implies. A tearing of clothes is like a, a, a gesture of deep sorrow and repentance personal sorrow and repentance. So he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah. In other words, we, we need to know more of what's on God's heart. Uh, concerning the words of this book, that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Now, Josiah is not blaming, but Josiah is stating a fact, a historical fact. As he looks down the corridors of the past, he realizes how deep in sin, his ancestors have been and all of God's people have been. Now, part of what we read, going back to the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, what you find there is a list of blessings for obedience and a list of curses for disobedience. And mind you, the list of curses for disobedience is much longer than the list of blessings for obedience. God is very, very serious about sin. And so we read here in Deuteronomy. Now, we won't go through that whole list, all right? It says, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you, meaning they will overwhelm you. And there were some really terrible things that you would read among the curses of disobedience, including things like famine and resorting to cannibalism just to survive. It's really an awful, awful picture. And here is maybe the, the kicker to everything. Verse 41, you shall have sons and daughters but they will not be yours, for they will go into captivity. Actually, as early as the time of Isaiah, during the time of King Hezekiah, it was already being prophesied. 
that because of the sin of Judah, they will eventually be invaded by the Babylonians, they will be taken captive, and they will go into exile. And so th this is what King Josiah was hearing. As a matter of fact, it said even more. It said, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old, nor show favor to the young. It shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified, now listen to this, until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted. See, this was also like an idol to them. We have walls around us. Nothing can happen. He says, the walls in which you trusted will come down throughout your land, and it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. So this is a doomsday scenario for the kingdom of Judah. And that's why King Josiah tore his clothes in repentance. Now, before we go any further, remember what we said. Change starts with God in you. May I ask us a question? Even at this time, and I know we were given some opportunity to do it during the Lord's Supper, but is there something in our lives that we need to repent of? Is there something that God, the Spirit of God, is con convicting you of even at this very moment? Have you strayed away from Him? Have you made Him far less than number one in your life? You know, we can actually take a moment now and get it right with God. Let's keep short accounts with our holy God. And if he's convicted of, you of anything, please, let's just spend a moment. Let's just bow our heads as a church and spend some quiet moments in sincere repentance, asking for his forgiveness. Jesus, our King, as we sang earlier, we thank you for the cross and for the nail-pierced hands. And we thank you for your Spirit, O Lord, who we can trust to convict our hearts. And indeed, Lord, will you examine our lives? You know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in us, O God, and lead us in the everlasting way. Amen. Folks, I would like all of us to know this morning that prayer is one of the priorities of CCF. And that's why we, even within the message, we can take time to pray. Because greater things have been wrought through prayer than through anything else. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Amen. So, change begins with God in us. But it also means we need to commit to God's Word. Again, we need to do it ourselves. We need to help other people also make a commitment to God's Word. How was this true in the life of Josiah? Okay. So, so Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Now who is the man who sent them? The king, right? Tell Josiah, 
the following. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I bring evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands, therefore my wrath burns against this place and it shall not be quenched. In other words, the judgment of the sin of the people of Judah was unstoppable. It was going to happen. It was. The time will soon be coming at that time. But she said more. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. What does that mean? What, what was answered? What did the Lord hear and how did he respond? Well, it says, therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers. In other words, eventually, Josiah, you know you won't live forever in your physical body. Eventually, you will die and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. And so they brought back word to the king. Folks, so what does that mean? Was Josiah able to influence or not? Well, folks, this reminds us about the truth of the stewardship of influence. You and I have been given a certain circle of influence by God. But you and I do not hold people's hearts. You and I cannot change people's minds. And that's why we said God is the real change maker. But the implication of what Holder the prophet has declared implies this that for as long as Josiah is the king, for as long as he follows God, and for as long as he does everything he can to influence everyone else to do the same, then that wrath, that destiny of the people of Judah can be delayed for as long as Josiah is there. And that's exactly what happened, and we'll see that towards the end. So yes, he did make a difference, but in the end, people will have to make their own choice. Even Joshua, if you remember in the last series, at the end of his life, he said, you choose for yourselves whom you will serve. The God whom you serve, you know, beyond the river or the God who brought us to the promised land. So what happened next? Remember, it's committing to God's word. Then the king sent and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. In other words, he called everybody. And what did he do? It says, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. He didn't let the scribe read it. The king read the words himself. Because he wanted the people to hear the word of God. And then what happened? It says, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. So he was the first to make the commitment. Leadership by example. Here was King Josiah making a public commitment, a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And then look at the next sentence. And all the people entered into the covenant. So was Josiah a positive influencer? Absolutely. He brought people into the refreshing place of the word of God. Now, folks, as we said earlier, the world we live in is a spiritually dry place. It needs the refreshing power of God's Word. 
And by the way, can I remind all of us that the Word of God, it's not just a book. The Word of God is not just the Bible. The Word of God is a person. Jesus is the living Word. And so we, when we help bring people into the refreshing presence of the Word of God, we're bringing them into the refreshing presence of Jesus. I remember just recently, I was having lunch with an old friend. And although he's a very wonderful person, I cannot say that he is a true and committed follower of Jesus the way we understand the term to be. But in that meeting, I had the opportunity of sharing part of God's Word with him. And he had some misgivings in life and so on. But when I was able to share with him even a small portion of the truth of God's Word, how Jesus paid for all of our sin on the cross, past, present, and future, and that's the reason why since the debt is fully paid, eternal life is given to us as a free gift. You know, his, his face just lit up. And even towards the end of our time of meeting, he was so grateful for that gift of eternal life. But again, let me ask all of us in this room, beginning with us, maybe you're in a state of dryness yourself. Can I ask you, how much time do you spend in God's Word? Do you spend time every day to allow the Word of God to refresh you? Because how, can in, how in the world can we refresh other people if we ourselves have neglected to allow the Word of God to refresh us? Do you know what the picture of a person refreshed by the Word of God looks like? It's described in Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do we delight in God's Word? I mean, think of something you really delight in, like ice cream on a summer day. But there should be far greater delight in God's Word. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his, in His law He meditates day and night. So with all due respect, it's not like spending one minute on the verse that pops up on your phone. Okay, I say that with a great deal of respect, but I think you know what I'm saying. In His law He meditates day and night, and what's the effect? He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Would you like this to be the picture of your life? Again, it begins with us, God in us. Before we can even refresh others, we need to make sure we ourselves are refreshed. So again, perhaps we should spend just a brief moment of commitment to the Lord that we will be people of the Word who will constantly allow His Word to minister to us so that we can minister to others through His Word. Shall we spend just a moment again bowing before God, making that personal commitment that we will allow the Lord to speak to us every day through His Word. Lord, we come to you in behalf of a dry and thirsty world. Even the world immediately around us 
people who need your word, the living word, Jesus, in their lives. And yet, Lord, we confess that we ourselves, perhaps even at this very moment, we are experiencing a dry spell in our lives. Lord, will you refresh us today? Refresh us in our hearts, in our spirits, as we recommit ourselves to truly spending time with you, allowing you to minister to our hearts so that we can be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Lord, you know the reasons why sometimes we feel like we're withering like a dying leaf. But Lord, you can breathe new life into our dry and thirsty souls so that with your help, we can do the same for others. Thank you, God, for the refreshment we are receiving even at this very moment. Amen. Okay, so we said change starts with God in you. We need to commit to God's word ourselves and help other people do the same. But we need to clean out idols too. It's not just a matter of what we need to start doing. It's also a matter of what we need to stop doing. So how did this happen in the case of Josiah? All right, so let's continue. We're now in chapter 23. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers. Listen carefully to what this says, okay? Look at the implication. To bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for the host of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. What is the implication of what we're reading? Folks, the, it's, it's as simple as this. There were instruments. When we talk about vessels, these are instruments, um, idols, representations of false gods. And where were they? They were inside the temple of the Lord. Baal was a fertility god. He was the the sun god. And, you know, fertility meaning agriculture, allow you to have your crops, or fertility meaning to allow you to have children. Asherah was his girlfriend. Asherah was a moon goddess. And she was of, often represented by a tree trunk. And that's why in the Bible you, offer, you often hear about the Asherah poles. The people were worshiping them also in, you know, high places and all over the place. But these things found themselves even inside the temple of God. And they also had, you know, uh, implements for worshiping the host of heaven, meaning aside from their own personal rooftops, people were worshiping the moon and the stars and the whatever it is. And this was happening inside the temple of God. And King Josiah had them burned and had them carried, their ashes carried to Bethel. Bethel was outside of his territory. It was already across in the lower part of uh, the northern kingdom. In other words, he really wanted to get rid of all of these things. So imagine, these things were happening inside the temple of God. And then it says, he also defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire for Molech. Who was Molech? Molech was another false god. A very cruel false god who demanded child sacrifice. Can you imagine the people of God who were liberated from slavery from the land of Egypt who suffered for 400 years and by God's amazing grace were brought to himself on eagle's wings and now into the promised land. And here they have been for so a long a time burning their children as a sacrifice to Molech. What do you think? Beyond imagination? Absolutely incredible. He did away with the horses the kings of Judah had given to the sun. Okay, so they had all kinds of stuff they adopted from the ungodly people that they were supposed to get rid of in the land. At the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the official, which was in the precincts, and he burned 
all of these things as well. So I'm just trying to show us how deeply depraved this whole society had become. Now, when did this all begin? Well, actually, the Israelites had problems with idolatry for a long time. That's why even remember Joshua, he said, you choose for yourselves whom you will serve. But in this particular segment of Israel's, particularly of Judah's history, look at what it says here. The high places which were before Jerusalem, which were on the right of the Mount of Destruction, which, who is this guy? Solomon, the son of David, supposedly the wisest man who ever lived. What did he do? It says here, the king of Israel had built for Ashtoreth the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom the abomination of the sons of Ammon, the king defiled. Solomon, supposedly the wisest man who ever lived. Yet at the latter part of his life, the Bible tells us, he loved many foreign women. And his wives, the word tells us, turned his heart away from the Lord, and he began to worship idols. So folks, we're talking years and years and years of idolatry. Who is Ashtoreth, another name for Asherah? Chemosh is another uh, child sacrifice kind of cruel false god. And Milcom is another name for Molech. The point is this has been going on for so, so very long. But here for me, this is the, oh, by the way, the, the, the meaning of the word abomination, since you've been seeing that for a long time, what in the world is that? It means something disgusting, filthy, detestable. Think of the most disgusting, detestable thing your imagination can conjure. And this is far worse because it's an abomination in the eyes of God. But here to me is the one who really, the, the one that really steals the show, so to speak. And this, this is in Chronicles. He also said to the Levites who taught all, the Isra all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, what did he tell them to do? He said, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. What does that tell you? If the king says, put back the ark in the temple, what does that mean? It means the Ark of the Covenant was not even in the temple anymore. How did it get out? We're not exactly sure. Maybe some well-meaning priests seeing all of the idols that were being brought into the temple, maybe they safe-kept it. The point is, literally, God was replaced in the hearts of these people by all of the idols they worshipped. And so King Josiah had to say, put the Ark of the Covenant back where it belongs. Now that this place is clean, put it back. We want the presence of God here. So it's really unthinkable. But can I ask you a question? Is it possible that when you and I come here to worship, is it possible that we bring our idols with us? We just said what we saw was unthinkable. Is it possible that when we come here, we bring our idols with us? What are the idols of today? Just a few people. By the way, who is the number one idol in our life? The man or the woman in the mirror, right? Or it could be relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever popularity, being accepted, social media and so forth, pleasure, you know, the fun of the moment, the experience, possessions, position, property, whatever you feel defines you, gives you a sense of um, prestige in life or power. Folks, one last time. Let's come before the Lord and let's clean out our idols. You think that's a good idea? Let's do it now. Let's bow before God and ask Him to examine our hearts. And if indeed He reveals an idol in your heart, give it up. 
our merciful and loving God, I for one confess <clears throat> that I have had idols in my life and somehow they, con- they keep coming back every so often, Lord, and I just confess that before you, as do all of us at this time. Forgive your people, Lord, when we allow anything or anyone, including and especially ourselves, to take the place of number one, your place as number one in our lives. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus and the assurance that we can be forgiven even at this moment because even those awful sins of idolatry have already been paid for on the cross. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Finally, (laughs) we celebrate God's grace. Because a changed life and a life used to help change other people is lived only by the grace of God. What, how did this happen during the time of Josiah? Then the king commanded all the people saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. As it is written in this book of the covenant, Surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and of the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, This Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. What did we do just before we began our time together? We celebrated the Lord's Supper. That is a way of celebrating the grace of God. Another way of celebrating the grace of God is proclaiming what He has done in your life and telling other people about what He has done so that they can be encouraged and be drawn to the life, the real change maker. This morning, as we come to the end, the end part of our message, we have the privilege of hearing from a young lady whom God has used to make an impact within the circle of influence God has given her. Will you please welcome our sister, Shell Wren. Shell, come and share your life with us, please. When I was 10 years old, a group of people belonging to a house-to-house ministry introduced the gospel to my family. At that time, I had difficulty understanding what they shared. However, the part about the end of the world and the consequences of sin really struck fear in me, which I kept from my family. I created a false sense of comfort and security by entering into a relationship only to end up still being fearful and alone. It worsened when the pandemic began. I pushed myself to serve God out of fear, which only led me to sink deeper into my unstable emotions. It got to a point where I had suicidal thoughts because my loneliness and fears were consuming me already. I knew it was wrong to take one's own life. In my desperation, I started watching online Sunday and youth services of CCF. Through these messages and seeing my mom attending her own D group, I realized I cannot do life on my own and I, I was encouraged to go back to my discipleship group. So I went to my D group leader to apologize and to commit myself fully to serving God. Despite my long absence in the D group, my D group leader responded with so much grace and kindness. I felt God welcoming me back into his family. He never failed to pursue me. From then on, I didn't want to fear coming between me and my relationship with God. I pursued various avenues in order to know God and his word more. On top of D group, attending services online and reading the Bible, I became a participant in a True Life retreat and attended a Go Viral training. These commitments I have for myself help me grow deeper in my knowledge of Him, teaching me to surrender all my doubts and fears unto the Lord. It wasn't long when I became a volunteer of Elevate, then a facilitator, and now a D-group leader, despite having questions in my mind like, what if I won't be able to extend the same love to my disciples? What if they won't grow? What if they won't listen since I'm not an eloquent speaker? I have grown to face paralyzing fears and replace it with my fear in the Lord that enables. 
And thanks to the different people God used to help me drown out my doubting thoughts with wisdom and encouragement. One verse that inspired me to overcome my fears was, was 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. This verse gave me the confidence to start leading. The Lord blessed me with various opportunities opportunities to exercise faith over fear. My zeal to share the gospel grew so much that I would intentionally message my friends and the people who have hurt me in the past to ask for their prayer requests. Some of them made fun of me while the others simply didn't reply. Some not only rejected the gospel, but they also mocked me, laughed at me, and brought up my past. They even asked me if I was feeling off as they were not used hearing me share the gospel and pray for others. I felt sad knowing that it was God they were rejecting and not me. Nonetheless, I held on to the promises of God and did not allow fear to cripple me. Even after the pandemic, I continued to invite them to attend youth service by tagging them in comments, sending the stream link, and inviting them on-site to join the service. Truly, our efforts for the, for the Lord will never be in vain because a few of my friends have heard the gospel and now walking in faith by God's grace. I learned not to focus on my own emotions and to fix my eyes on Him. Today, I am leading my own small group of five faithful ladies in CSF Maine and another D group of faithful four faithful students from Elevate Nangka. Also, I started mentoring groups in my college in a high school near our house and became part of Elevate Nangka's core team, which has helped me further the gospel through discipleship. It was in the chaos of pandemic that I realized that it's not yet too late to run back to God. He is fully capable of fulfilling His promises and plans for those who love and follow Him. I am Franchellerine. It's only with Jesus in me that I can make difference for His glory. To God be all, all the honor and praise. Praise God. So I never, I, I imagine that Shell, in her past life, would never dream of how God will use you today. By the way, Blessy, Blessy is her D group leader. And of course, God is using Blessy to be a blessing. Okay, ba? to many young people as well as she has been to Shell. Why don't we all pray for both of them and for God's continued blessing on uh, these two. Father God, we just want to thank you so much for Shell, for Blessy, for their faithfulness. We commit them to you, Lord, that you will protect them, keep them pure and holy, walking before you with joyful obedience. And help them, Lord, to really impact the people you place around them. We know, Lord, that you've allowed Shell to start discipling young ladies. We pray that you will create such a change in the lives of these young ladies that they will do the same for others, who will do the same for others because they're just fully surrendered to you and are completely in love with you as number one in their lives. We pray your blessing on Blessy as well and that you will continue to guide her in the, the road that you have set before her. And we pray that she'll always be faithful to you all of her days. And we pray, Lord, for the young people today. The young people today are facing so much pressure. They have so many questions in their minds. They are tempted in ways that we of uh, a previous generation uh, may not have experienced and maybe cannot even imagine or can identify with. But Lord, you know what's going on. You know they need you. And so God, we pray that you will reveal yourself to people of all walks of life, people of all ages from one generation to the next for your glory and your pleasure until you return. So again, we commit to you, Shell and Blessy, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Praise God for you. And folks, you know, one way that we can really help make a change in people's lives is when we tell them about Jesus. How many of you are familiar with this little booklet, The Best Decision? Okay, I'm so glad there are so many hands raised. I wonder if there are as many hands raised if I ask, are you sharing this with someone? Folks, 
celebrate the grace of God. Celebrate it by telling someone about Jesus. Celebrate His grace in your life. Celebrate His grace that that person can experience. That way, we can be God's change makers on earth. That's where the change begins, when God is in us and when God is in that person. So let's end our time with King Josiah. This is what we read, what Pastor Marty read earlier. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. But you see, this wasn't just about God's change in Josiah's life. This was about also how God used him. And even if we already said the judgment of God eventually came upon the people of Judah, eventually, not long after Josiah was gone. But this we know according to the Word of God. It says, well, sorry, before that, just the quotation of John Wesley. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. This is about the stewardship of influence. Josiah did everything he could to influence people towards the Word of God, to clean out their idols, and to celebrate His grace. And that's why this is what, what the Bible describes him as in Chronicles. Josiah removed all the abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God throughout his lifetime. They did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. Praise God for people like Josiah. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> and even if Judah was eventually conquered, you know, it was maybe a hundred years or so after Josiah that the prophet Zechariah made a prophecy that God would send a king he would send a king who would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That king, 2,000 years ago, on the original Palm Sunday, was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, King Jesus. 2,000 years ago, God sent the king so that you and I could have complete forgiveness and be spared from God's wrath against sin. Because the reason Jesus came, according to the Bible, is God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Praise God that He sent the King who saves forever. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If the change of God in your life has not even begun, it's because you don't have Him in your life. But He came so that that could be true. He sent Jesus, God in the flesh, so that this day you can say in your heart, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I give up my life to you. I trust you for my earthly well-being. More importantly, I trust you for my eternal destiny. You paid the penalty of my sin on the cross, Lord Jesus. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. And it is in you that I put my trust. Lord Jesus, be the change maker of my life so that even in a humble way, I can be your agent of change in this world. But I know it begins with me, Lord Jesus. So come into my heart, come into my life, and just transform me from the inside out so that I can live with an eternal perspective, wanting to please you every day of my life, knowing I will see you one day. Thank you, thank you, thank you, 
Jesus. And all of your people said, Amen and Amen. Glory to God. God bless everyone.